Hello friends, welcome to the Functional Nurse Practitioner Podcast. I'm a board-certified family nurse practitioner who specializes in women's health, utilizing both conventional and functional medicine strategies in order to provide a more comprehensive approach for optimal health. The current model of care in healthcare is very lacking, which led me down the road of functional medicine. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach which looks at uncovering the root cause for the symptoms we're having in order to allow for healing versus simply applying a Band-Aid to the situation. I believe we need an integrative approach of both conventional and functional medicine in order to provide the best care possible. I've been incorporating functional medicine practices within my gynecology practice and have seen phenomenal results. I believe we need to level up our healthcare system so women, all my ladies out there, can actually feel better. Just a quick disclaimer that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or be a substitute for medical advice from your practitioner. I am a practitioner, but not your practitioner. Also, if you like what you hear on this show, I would be real appreciative if you would leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening from and subscribe to the show. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, we're talking about hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism means that the thyroid is underactive. It is not working appropriately. We're going to talk about the signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism, how to test for hypothyroidism, causes of hypothyroidism, risks associated with this condition, and finally, the management of hypothyroidism. Okay, so what are the signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism? Some of these you may know, and others may be a surprise to you. Fatigue, brain fog, cognitive impairment, hypertension, bradycardia, also known as a slow heart rate, increased triglycerides, and increased LDL, which is the bad cholesterol. More on this in a bit. Elevated CRP. This is C-reactive protein. It's a marker for inflammation. Delay to deep tendon reflexes. Protein urea, meaning protein in the urine. Dry skin. Hair changes, thin or falling out, periorbital edema, aka swelling around the eyes, cold intolerance, infertility, lethargy, depression, constipation, heavy menstrual cycles, muscle cramps, tenderness and stiffness, joint pain or stiffness, voice changes, weight gain, goiter, which means an enlarged thyroid, anemia, coma. Symptoms may be mild or life-threatening, as in a myexedema coma. What are the risks of untreated or poorly treated hypothyroidism? There is a great cardiovascular risk. Hypothyroidism is associated with impaired relaxation of smooth muscle, which causes a decrease in cardiac output leading to arterial stiffening, aka atherosclerosis, increasing the risk of stroke and heart attack. Wow, that is a great risk. Pericardial effusion. This is the buildup of fluid around the heart, making it more difficult to pump 
blood throughout the body. Swelling of the hands and feet, particularly small joints. Carpal tunnel syndrome. Infertility. Yes, because this can affect ovulation. Rhabdomyolysis. This is a condition often seen. Let me rephrase that. This is a condition that we watch out for if you are on cholesterol medicine like a statin. This happens when damaged muscle tissue releases electrolytes and proteins into the circulatory system. This can damage the kidneys and the heart and cause permanent disability and even death. Acute kidney injury. That's another risk. Those are some pretty major risks of associated with hypothyroidism or untreated, poorly treated hypothyroidism. Let's talk about subclinical hypothyroidism. This is a term that's often utilized. This is defined as a TSH level that is higher than the reference range with normal thyroid levels. So the TSH comes from the brain, the pituitary. It stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. This is released. It is a negative feedback system. It is a very complex system, but just to summarize, this is released and when it gets higher, that means the higher it gets, the more underactive your thyroid is. So with higher levels, you are stimulating more creation of T4, which is the inactive, mostly inactive form of the thyroid hormone. So what are some causes of hypothyroidism? Hashimoto's disease. We're not going to go into this too much today. I will do a whole show on this because it's very complex. This is an autoimmune disease and it will take a lot to unpack. This is the predominant reason for hypothyroidism with studies showing it is somewhere upwards of 90 to 95% of the reason we have hypothyroidism. In my practice, I have tested roughly 50-ish women who have had a long-standing history of hypothyroidism and have never had antibody levels checked. Only two of them do not have Hashimoto's disease. That's pretty staggering. And my patients, they're mad. They're mad because they were not screened appropriately. They've been living with an autoimmune disease, which opens the door to other autoimmune diseases. Again, we're not going to go too deep in the weeds on that today. I was one of these patients myself that had hypothyroidism for years. Nobody questioned why. I had to find out that I had an autoimmune disease, which led to the uncovering of another marker of autoimmunity, and it is very terrifying. So that's the number one reason for hypothyroidism. Other reasons, surgical removal of the thyroid or radiation to the thyroid. Medications like lithium, amiodarone, interleukin-2 medications, which are commonly used for treating cancer. Interferon alpha medications used for lymphoma, multiple myeloma, hepatitis, birth control pills. Say what? Did I just say birth control pills? Yes, I am a women's health 
specialist letting you know that your birth control pills can cause hypothyroidism. Yeah, folks. Not only can birth control pills decrease the free T4 in your blood that needs to convert to free T3, which is the active form, so the cells can use it by increasing the amount of thyroid binding proteins. So again, birth control pills decrease the amount of thyroid hormone in your bloodstream by increasing the amount of thyroid binding proteins. So it binds to the thyroid hormone and makes it inactive, so to speak. Research shows that with prolonged use, 10 years or more, according to the research studies done, it can actually cause hypothyroidism. If you take birth control, you may need a higher dose of thyroid medication because the effects on binding. When it affects binding, the thyroid hormone is not getting into the cell. This causes cellular hypothyroidism. And guess what, folks? This can't be measured. That's right. It can't be measured. So we can measure your thyroid levels. We can measure your antibodies but we don't know what is actually getting into your cell or not. So you could have symptoms of hypothyroidism with normal thyroid levels. And this could be in part due to birth control pills. Does this mean you shouldn't take birth control pills? No, not necessarily. I think birth control pills are great if you need contraception. They can be very helpful with stabilizing periods we're not going to go too far into that today since we are talking about hypothyroidism, but it is something to think about. This also goes for HRT, hormone replacement therapy. Yep, your hormone replacement therapy, folks, may be causing your hypothyroidism. Both HRT and birth control also deplete your body of key nutrients like B vitamins and zinc, which are crucial for thyroid function. What are some other important points? Our liver breaks down estrogen, and if our liver is functioning poorly, this raises our risk of developing estrogen dominance. We talked about estrogen dominance last week on the show, so I won't go too far into that. You can go ahead and give that a listen for more info. Estrogen dominance not only raises the risk for PMS, endometriosis, ovarian cysts, breast, uterine, and ovarian cancers, but also can make the management of Hashimoto's disease more difficult as it raises inflammation in the body. When we have Hashimoto's disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, we have inflammation in the thyroid. We're making thyroid antibodies. The immune system puts out its response to the antibodies, causing inflammation raising inflammation in the body. How do we test for hypothyroidism? A good way of testing would be a thyroid panel. Often in healthcare, what we're measuring is that TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone. Again, this is a measure of the brain, the pituitary. It doesn't actually say what is happening in the thyroid or if you have an autoimmune disease. My thyroid panel consists of the TSH, 
a free T4 and free T3. So this is the free inactive and active forms of the thyroid in our blood, along with a total T3 and total T4. This is what is both free and bound to protein. It can be very helpful to measure all of these because again, if you're on birth control, it may be bound up. So that's why it's important to see all of these measures. I also like to check reverse T3. Reverse T3 is often looked at as the breaks. So our thyroid makes the hormone T4. T4 then converts to T3 or reverse T3. This is a very complex system that our body is doing in order to keep us stable. So if we have really high levels of reverse T3 and low levels of T3, this can signify some pretty important things like maybe we have high levels of stress. Maybe we have an autoimmune disease that's not been diagnosed. Maybe we have nutrient deficiencies. These are things that really should be looked at. Sometimes I will do a T3 uptake. This shows the receptors that are available for thyroid. It does not show what is actually being taken up by the cells. Every cell in our body has a thyroid receptor, but it can be helpful, particularly when looking at something like estrogen dominance in the case of somebody has PCOS or androgen excess, like if somebody has um, acne or hair loss, and I'm speaking in particular with women. Another way to test for hypothyroidism is to do imaging, like a thyroid ultrasound. This can be particularly helpful if you have any symptoms of difficulty swallowing, if feels like you have to clear your throat often, this could be a sign that your thyroid is enlarged. Maybe your primary care provider said that they felt a nodule on your thyroid. Having thyroid imaging is important to assess if there are any nodules or if you are having any type of enlargement of your thyroid. Sometimes you might not have any presence of thyroid antibodies, but you still have an autoimmune disease and catching it on an ultrasound with an enlarged thyroid can be helpful with that. I did forget to mention a crucial part of my thyroid panel. I'm not sure where my mind is today, but aside from those thyroid markers or receptor markers or the breaks or whatever it is we're monitoring, we want to check antibodies. So that's TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies to see, are we marking our thyroid tissue as foreign? This is crucial because if we are marking our thyroid tissue as foreign, that means we have an autoimmune disease that is strategically targeting our own self. And the end result of this battle with ourself is going to be destruction of the thyroid. 
What can we do to help our thyroid function better? Our diet and lifestyle are the single most important contributors for optimal health, and in particular, thyroid health. This includes sleep management, stress management, making sure we're not overdoing it with exercise. Exercise is important, but in moderation. If we're doing two-a-day workouts, that might not be in alignment with optimal health. There are also key vitamins and nutrients that are involved in thyroid function like selenium, zinc, vitamin D, A and C, iodine, iron, tyrosine, and B vitamins. There is research that shows that a person with autoimmune thyroiditis, aka Hashimoto's disease, that supplements with selenium can achieve euthyroidism or normal thyroid function. These studies show that it may take up to 12 months to see a benefit. And I am not advocating for supplementation. I actually think it is more important to use a food first approach prior to supplementation, a food and lifestyle approach. Because if all we're going to do is use supplements in place of making major changes to optimize our health, it's no different than conventional medicine giving medications. We're band-aiding a problem and we're not actually changing anything. This really gets under my skin. Vitamin A, organ meats, pumpkin, spinach, sweet potatoes, whole milk, oats, carrots. Vitamin D, also crucial. Most of us are probably deficient. I do a lot of vitamin D screening in my practice and most of my patients do not have optimal levels of vitamin D. You can get this naturally in salmon, tuna, cod liver oil, beef liver, eggs. Selenium, as we mentioned previously, Brazil nuts is the best place to get your selenium. Two to three Brazil nuts, all you need in a day. I picked up a two pack of organic Brazil nuts from Amazon and I keep one in the fridge at home, one in my fridge at work, and I eat two to three a day and I know I am good for selenium. Other crucial, other important areas to get selenium, tuna, oysters, shrimp, halibut, eggs. Iodine, iodine is crucial for thyroid health. We can get this naturally in seaweed, cod, oysters, Greek yogurt, eggs, salmon. I do want to mention that there is a connection between iodine and worsening Hashimoto's disease or the onset of Hashimoto's disease. It used to be that we would just give iodine if you had a deficiency of your thyroid. And research has shown it actually can cause an autoimmune disease. I really don't recommend supplementing with iodine. I seek out multivitamins that don't have iodine in it and prefer to get it from food. You can always have your levels checked and I would advise to do that prior to starting any type of supplement. Another vitamin, important nutrient, iron. Where can we find iron? Organ meats, tofu, beans, lentils, spinach, clams. Vitamin C, one of the best places to get vitamin C is red peppers. Also strawberries, oranges, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. 
Zinc is another crucial component. We need zinc for the creation of thyroid hormone, for the ability to convert thyroid hormone T4 to T3, and also to take that T3 and bring it to the receptor site and put it into the cell. So oysters, very high in zinc, game meat, lamb, pork, pumpkin seeds. I did do some further digging with myself. I checked a plasma zinc. I also checked my intake of zinc using the app Chronometer, which I really love. I'm not advocating to use this all the time because I think it could possibly make an eating disorder, but I do think it, that it can be really helpful just to see what kind of nutrients you're getting. So you can always download that app. It's free and uh, look into it. I'm not sponsored by Chronometer, but I noticed that I was not consistently getting enough zinc. So I do supplement with zinc. It's important to not over supplement. They say less than 50 milligrams a day is okay. But when you get higher than that, then you have to worry about the zinc to copper ratio. So some multivitamins have about 25 milligrams of zinc. And I think that that is just fine. Tyrosine, you can find this in soy, chicken, avocados, cottage cheese, B vitamins, B vitamins found in clams, organ meats, eggs, chickpeas, chicken. B vitamins are crucial for so many things. They help with methylation of the body, the way that we absorb nutrients. They help with the folic acid methylation cycle, as I talked about last week in the estrogen dominance episode. And they are crucial for the thyroid. Our body, for the most part, again, makes T4, not the active thyroid hormone needed at the tissue level. Every cell, again, has a receptor site for thyroid hormone. And typically in conventional medicine, all that is measured is T4. Most are not checking T3. Because our body converts T4 to T3, and this happens in multiple different ways and sites, with the gut being a primary site. So if you have leaky gut, you may not be converting T4 to T3 appropriately, and this is usually not even measured. Things like stress, infection, toxins such as lead and mercury, and fluoride. Yes, folks, fluoride, like from your toothpaste. And also autoimmunity can impact the way your body makes T4. I touched on this before, to make matters more complicated, our body either converts T4 to T3 or reverse T3. Again, reverse T3 is the brakes. I had a full thyroid panel done at my request and saw that free T3 and total T3 was low. My reverse T3 was high. Therefore, my cells were not getting the thyroid hormone and I was still very symptomatic. Converting T4 to the reverse T3 Reasons would be stress. Again, I cannot stress the word stress enough and how damaging it can be to the body. Calorie restricting, including fasting, inflammation, trauma, infections, toxins, and even some medications. Believe it or not, you can buy multivitamins with thyroid hormone in them. I do not recommend this as it can actually make you hypothyroid. So what is the medical management of hypothyroidism? The gold standard of treatment is levothyroxine, which is the generic 
or the brand name Synthroid. This is a T4 medication and has a long half-life, meaning it stays in your system for roughly a week. So it is very stable. The problem is that many people taking T4 medications do not actually feel any better. The other thing to think of, levothyroxine has many fillers, including gluten, lactose, corn, sucrose, and dyes. Synthroid has lactose, corn, and dyes. Not all levothyroxine has gluten, but most do. If you have a gluten allergy or sensitivity or have Hashimoto's, you probably want to steer clear of levothyroxine. There are also combinations of T4 and T3 that can be either compounded by a pharmacy, or you can use a manufactured product like Armour Thyroid or NP Thyroid, which is desiccated natural thyroid from porcine, also known as a pig. Research shows that most people who use these forms of thyroid replacement feel better, have more energy and weight loss. This is not true of everyone. I'm one of those people. T3 is very unstable in the blood. You get surges initially and then lows shortly thereafter. It has a very short half-life. So therefore, halfway through the day, you may feel like you have nothing left in the tank. All of us are different though. In my practice, those on Armour or NP Thyroid love it and feel much better. Armour has corn as a filler. NP does not have any fillers. One important thing to note, however, if you are on one of these desiccated um, thyroid replacements and you are getting your levels checked, I don't recommend taking your thyroid medicine until after the blood test. So I would fast including taking that because it can actually show abnormally high levels of that because of the fast absorption of it. And you're not getting a true measure of what it's actually doing. So let's talk about a food first versus suppression of TSH. If we just suppress TSH, meaning that we just keep bumping up our thyroid medicine, whatever thyroid medicine that is, we may still not have enough T3 to adequately manage this at a cellular level. My last TSH was 45. 45, folks. TSH, depending on your lab, it's typically 0.4 to 4.5. Although I agree more with the functional lab results of like 1 to 2 or 1 to 1.5. Mine was 45. Wow. No wonder I felt like I got hit by a bus. Again, TSH is a measurement of the pituitary gland, which is in the brain. The pituitary gland sends signals to the thyroid gland to make more hormone if the TSH is elevated. We need T3, remember, for all sorts of things, including having LDL cholesterol docked to its receptor sites. I mentioned earlier that one of the risks of having hypothyroidism is having elevated LDL. If we don't have enough T3, our risk of heart issues are increased. So if our T3 is low and our T4 is normal, again, we mostly just measure T4 and we don't measure T3. So if our TSH is quote unquote normal, 
and our T4 is normal, we might have no T3 and then our LDL could be high and we're put on cholesterol medicine because we don't have enough thyroid hormone. But again, right now we're talking about suppression of TSH. So if, if your T3 is low, this doesn't mean that we should continue to flood the system with T4 or flood the system of both T4 and T3 just to lower TSH. It's much more complicated than that. I think it's always important to test for antibodies. I've had so many women in my practice with a diagnosis of hypothyroidism and not having any antibody testing. Why does this matter? When we have an autoimmune situation, it changes the game. It may change the way we manage hypothyroidism. I'm going to go into that further in an upcoming episode on Hashimoto's, but just as a little teaser right now, I do think if you are diagnosed with Hashimoto's, you should consider gluten-free for sure and possibly dairy-free. It's important to monitor thyroid levels, and I typically will check every four to six weeks until therapeutic levels are achieved. So let's talk about reference ranges. Most labs, the reference range is 0.4 to 4.5, as I mentioned. This is based on healthy and unhealthy individuals. More than 70% of Americans are unhealthy, so we're basing our labs on unhealthy individuals. The range should be much tighter one to two. Plus, we're all different. Some people may not feel better with the TSH of 3.5, so we need to base our management on the specific individual. Also, it's important to not take biotin, which is a B vitamin, for four days prior to lab testing because it can skew the results. Biotin is in many multivitamins and protein powders, so always be sure to check the label of anything that you're using to get an accurate level. Once levels are in balance, I typically recommend six-month monitoring or sooner if you're symptomatic. And remember, lots of medications and circumstances can affect the thyroid. I have put lots of resources in the show notes, articles talking all about everything I've talked about today and more info if you want to just kind of go and get more evidence-based information. The bottom line, folks, if you're not feeling well, if you have any of the symptoms that I started talking about related to hypothyroidism, if you were told you have high LDL and they started you on medication and you have not had a full thyroid panel, I highly recommend finding a practitioner who is willing to dive deeper. We need to dive deeper. Well, folks, that is it for today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Leave a review and a star rating. I would really appreciate that. And follow me over on Instagram at the functional nurse practitioner. Have a great rest of your week.